following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw or our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Reuben. The rest of the team, I really appreciate the honour it is to come and bring the message this morning. As, uh, as Michael said, I'm uh, from Tauranga. I'm the CEO of Thinking Matters, and I look forward to telling you a bit about Thinking Matters uh, at the end of today's message. But uh, first, of course, I need to introduce you to my family. These are my three kids. I'm a solo dad. We live in Tauranga. And my youngest there, Samuel, he's just turned 13. That means I've got three teenagers. So please pray for me. <laughs> now, this morning, I want to start with a quick survey. What do you feel when we talk about evangelism? How does it make you feel? Does it, A, make you so excited you just about wet yourself? <laughs> B, you're hesitant and nervous. You're up for it, but it doesn't come naturally. Or C, you would rather be beaten and burned. And if you knew to this morning's message was going to be on evangelism, you would have found a reason to sleep in. All right, let's see the A's. Who out there is an A? <laughs> There's some, yeah, I was going to say, you don't have like bladder problems because we're doing evangelism this morning. Okay, who's a B? I'm a B. Who's, who, most of us would be a B. Okay. Who's a C? There's no shame. Shame on you. <laughs> and who will not raise their hand no matter what I say? There's some. There's always, <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> okay. Why? I want to hear now from the Bs and the Cs. Why? Why is it something that you find Kind of hard, kind of awkward. Let's, let's hear some reasons. Social awkwardness. Social awkwardness, yeah. What else? Looking nice and loud? Looking foolish. Looking foolish. You don't want to make a fool of yourself, yeah. What else? Rejection. Fear of rejection. There is a fear of man. That's, that's, that, it, it's a real thing, right? That does hold us back. What about feeling like you don't have all the answers? Sometimes I feel like maybe... Keeping my mouth shut is the better thing because I might actually do more harm than good. Right? These are all valid reasons, and there's nothing wrong with having these fears until they stop you from actually stepping up, stepping out, and sharing the grace we've been given. So don't fear the fears, but don't let them stop you because we've been called to make disciples, haven't we? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is a commandment for everyone in this room who loves Jesus. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Guess where we live? The ends of the earth. This is for us. We're called to do this. You will be my witnesses, but not just his witnesses. We are called to be ambassadors, ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making his appeal through us. Now, what's an ambassador? An ambassador is somebody who stands between two parties and represents one party to the other. So when we send an ambassador off to a foreign land to represent New Zealand, they're not in that foreign land on holiday. They're there to do a job. They're there to represent their home, to represent their true king. And likewise, we are here to represent our true home. Because, brothers and sisters, this is not our home. 
And we shouldn't get too comfortable. Look at what it says in Hebrews. For this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. And while we are here, we are not on holiday. We're here to do a job. To be his voice in this world. To be his ambassador. Because, brothers and sisters, it is carnage out there. It's absolutely carnage. We just catch little glimpses. God sees it all. Every tear. Did you know that 13 people in New Zealand every week commit suicide? 140 people a week will be admitted to hospital for attempted suicide or self-harm. It's like 20 a day. We have the highest rate of teen suicide in the developed world. There are cases in the coroner's office of children as young as six and seven years old who've committed suicide. Can you even imagine? We have the highest rate of child abuse in the developed world, the second highest rate of teen pregnancy. One in four children have been raised in single-parent households. We have a binge drinking problem. We have a mental health system in crisis. I could go on and on. It's carnage out there. The emotional and spiritual blood is running in the streets of the city right outside the door of this church. But we have Jesus. Don't we? Jesus isn't just one answer. Jesus is the answer. He is the answer that can provide true and real and deep and lasting wholeness and healing and hope. And for the 13 people who will take their lives this week, meaning and purpose. And how dare we come into this place every week and pour out our hearts in worship to our glorious King and then fail to take what we've been given out there into a dark and broken and desperate world that needs it. Now, I know this is heavy, right? Everyone's kind of quiet. This is really heavy. I know this is a burden. And I'm not here this morning to say, guys, let's go on a trip together. It's a guilt trip. I, my heart is, as a teacher of the word, is to equip and to, uh, and to encourage. And so for the rest of this morning's message, what I want to do is simply give you a principle and two questions that will give you the ability to remove those fears and to open up the possibility of just having everyday conversations, friendly, productive conversations about matters of faith and God. So that's what I'm going to do the rest of this morning. First of all, the principle that I want you to keep in mind whenever an opportunity might come forward to have a conversation about, about God. When Jesus ministered, he often used parables. We know this. But have you ever noticed how many of the parables have agricultural sort of principles or terms or imagery in them? Because so many of the listeners of Jesus' Uh, Jesus' teaching of the day were subsistence farmers. This is a picture of a, a farm I uh, found on the, on the, on the web of, in, in Israel. This is a, a tiny little farm. That This is the sort of place that many of Jesus' listeners would have worked. 
And so he spoke often of things like scattering of seeds, and, and he spoke of the harvest, meaning the harvest of God's soul, of souls for God's kingdom. But his, his audiences understood at a much deeper level than we do today that before any harvest is always a season of gardening. That you cannot have a harvest unless you first tend the soil and plant the seed and water the crops and, and protect the crops until they grow into maturity and are ready for the harvest. And I think it's true also of God's harvest. And when we're called to go out and make disciples, it is actually a call to go out and, and help plant seeds and tend that soil and prepare people for receiving Jesus and receiving the gospel. So those of you who put up your hands as A's, first of all, I just want to honor you and thank you. We need more people who are enthusiastic. You're harvesters. You love seeing someone come to Christ, and so you're always out there sharing the gospel. The rest of us, the B's and C's, don't be discouraged. If you've been a Christian for years or even decades and you've never brought someone to Christ, because perhaps you're not called to be a harvester, perhaps you're called to be a gardener. And the work you're called to do is just as important the harvest will not happen without you doing that work. You could call it pre-salvation discipleship, of simply responding to people's questions and their doubts and their struggles and, and try and help them to understand where their need for Christ actually really comes from. So don't be discouraged. Think of it this way. Think of it as a continuum from A to Z there, where A is hostile atheist, right? Really aggressive. A little bit further along, just skeptical, just not really interested. Maybe a little bit further along, agnostic. Don't really know. Right, right along to the other end of in Z, we're full faith in Christ, daily walk in Christ. Now, everybody's on this continuum somewhere. Everyone's on this continuum somewhere, but there's a lot of letters between A and Z. And let me ask you, is it your job to take somebody from wherever they are on that continuum straight to the foot of the cross, straight to Z, in a single conversation. Is that your job? Now, hear me, can God do that? Yes, he can, and sometimes he does. But really, think about it. Do people normally change their entire religious worldview in one conversation with you? It's not how it normally happens, is it? So instead, how about we think about it like this? Say I've got a friend who's on an A and I have one conversation with him and I take him to a B. I've moved him closer to God. He's still pretty hostile, but I've done the work of gardening. I've planted seeds God can use. And then the next conversation, I take him from a B to a C. Am I being faithful? Am I being faithful? And my calling to go and make disciples? Yes. I think that we often are afraid of failing because we are afraid that if we don't take someone to the foot of the cross, then we've somehow let God down. Isn't it better that we're all having conversations regularly, sharing something of the truth, something of God, something of the, the grace we've been given, all moving people one step at a time closer to God, then we all feel intimidated that we actually have to go to the foot of the cross and share the gospel in a conversation. Isn't it better we're all moving people in that direction than we're all sort of sitting back and just letting the A's, the, the harvesters, do this? 
I have a friend of mine, Greg Kokel, who uh, puts it this way. He says, our goal, rather than our goal being to take them to the foot of the cross, how about our goal be this? Just aim to put a stone in their shoe. Right? When you've got a stone in your shoe, you know it's there. It's annoying, right? How about we aim to give people something that makes their walk without God just that little bit more uncomfortable? Something they kind of have to think about. Something that challenges them. This beautiful concept, I think, just takes the pressure off. It lowers the bar of expectation. Now, hear me. If we have an opportunity to share the gospel, obviously we take it. But how about we just lower that expectation of ourselves so that we don't have to feel so intimidated? So we can get off the sidelines and into the game and actually start having conversations with people about God. Colossians says this. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of your time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. Now note how it ends, how to answer each person. Not how to answer each issue, not how to answer each question or each objection, but how to answer each person, because we don't answer questions, we answer people. Jesus didn't say, follow me and I will make you winners of arguments. He said, follow me and I'll make you winners of souls, fishers of men. Because we don't want people to accept our arguments. We want them to accept Jesus. So let's take the pressure off ourselves and just seek to put a stone in their shoe. Okay, but how? What I want to do next is introduce you to two questions that you can use in any opportunity, in any engagement when we're starting to talk about God that kind of disarm things, that make it... Make it so that you can have productive, friendly, organic conversations about matters of God. And Jesus used questions a lot. 284 questions are recorded in the Gospels. He used questions all the time. Questions are powerful. One of many reasons why questions are so powerful is it simply shows you care. shows you want to meet someone where they're at. You want to understand them. So important. This is a great quote from a, um, a, a Christian apologist called Francis Schaeffer. He puts it like this. He says, if I only have an hour with someone, I will spend the first 55 minutes asking questions and finding out what's troubling their heart and mind, and then spend the last five minutes sharing something of the truth. You mean I only get five minutes to tell them about God and the rest of the time I have to listen? Yes. Think about it. When you've listened properly, It means that when you do speak, you can speak directly to their needs, directly into their soul. You can focus the words that you use directly on the very words they need to hear. It's so crucial that we listen and ask questions to understand where someone's at. So what I want to do is introduce you to these two questions. I'm going to call them our what-why clarification questions. So here's the first one. Oh, now these come from Greg Kokel. He wrote this book called Tactics, a game plan for discussing your Christian convictions. We have this for sale on the resource desk, $17.90. If you you enjoy this stuff and want to go further, it's a fantastic book. It's very, very highly rated uh, with all the reviews online. So this material now comes from, from Greg's book. First question, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? This is an information-gathering question. So this is a a question that seeks to understand what what somebody believes, where they're at. 
So imagine a friend of yours says something like this. All religions are basically the same. Now, you don't have to be an expert in world religions to know this is simply not true. There's some superficial similarities, but all religions are fundamentally different. So you could launch into a 10-minute long sort of defense on why religious pluralism is false and logically incoherent. And, but hang on a second. Do we actually know what they're saying? How about we ask our first clarification question? Say it with me. What do you mean by that? Because we don't actually know what they mean. Maybe they mean all religions lead to the same God. Maybe they mean all religions have the same moral standards. Maybe they, they mean all religions give you different forms of the same truth. Now, you don't actually know what they're saying until you ask this question. Seek to understand what it is they're really saying. Then you can appropriately respond. How about this example? The Bible isn't reliable. Again, you could respond with a 10-minute long defense on, the, on, on biblical reliability and inerrancy, but again, we don't know what they mean. Maybe they mean the Bible's not a reliable source of history. Maybe they mean the Bible isn't reliable when it speaks to scientific matters. Maybe they mean the Bible hasn't been reliably translated and transmitted through the ages, and so we don't have today what, we, what was originally written. Or maybe they just deny the possibility of miracles, and since the Bible has a whole lot of miracles in it, then it can't possibly be reliable. You see, all of these are completely different beliefs, and you don't know what they're actually saying until we ask our first clarification question. Again, say it with me. What do you mean by that? so important. There's no point in defending uh, or answering a question that nobody's asking or defending a hill no one's attacking. How about this one? I can't believe in something I can't see for myself. What question will you ask? What do you mean by that? How about this one? Don't Christians hate homosexuals? Very good. The Bible's full of contradictions. Very good. There's a pattern here, isn't there? Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? These are all common challenges that you will face if you're going to talk about your faith. Okay, that's the first question. It's a clarification question. It tells you what they think. The second question is even more important, and it tells you why they think it. And that's this. How did you come to that conclusion? Now, this question is so powerful, but before I describe why there's incredible power in this question, I need to introduce you to two concepts. First, what is an argument? And second, what is a burden of proof? So let's start with an argument. Now, when I use the word argument, sometimes you might automatically think of it as a meaning like a heated exchange. So I had an argument with my daughter. I don't mean it that way. What I mean in a more technical sense, an argument is something where you might say, hey, you make a good argument. So in a technical sense, an argument is, a, is, a, is, is something, here's the definition, a claim supported by reasons that attempts to persuade. That's an argument. And I want you to think of an argument as like a house. A house is a, a roof. That's the claim being made supported by walls. The walls are the reasons why they think that claim is valid. So, I live in Tauranga. Uh, me and my kids are down there. We've got Mount Monganui Beach, just only 20 minutes away from where we live in Bethlehem. It's, I, think, I think it's the best beach 
in New Zealand because it has clean white sand, it's got a safe swimming, and it's got an awesome surf break. I just made an argument. That's an argument. Look at this. The claim, the mount is the best surf beach in New Zealand. That's the roof. The walls are clean white sand, safe swimming, clean surf break. Now, you might make a counter-argument where you make a different claim supported by different reasons in an attempt to persuade me otherwise. But you see, an argument is something that we use all the time. In fact, my entire message this morning is probably you could actually analyze it. It would just be a string of arguments. This is normal way that we try and communicate and, and, and persuade one another. But tell me, is this, the Mount is the best surf beach in New Zealand, is that an argument? It's a, it's a statement. What else is it? It's just an opinion. Without reasons, it's not an argument. It's not a formal attempt to persuade. It's just an opinion. So, how about these? Are any of these arguments? They're just opinions, aren't they? They're just opinions. These are roofs without walls. And so when someone states one of these, they're just sharing an opinion, and you actually don't need to respond. Now, I'm going to bring to the, the, this concept of burden of proof. The burden of proof is the responsibility someone has to give the evidence to support their opinions, the, 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 to, to provide the walls to hold up the roof. And the rule when it comes to the burden of proof is this. The person who makes the claim bears the burden of proof. So when a, friend of you, when a friend might say to you, all religions are basically the same, who made the claim? They did. So who bears the burden of proof? They do. And you actually don't need to respond until they do that. Now here's my point. We as Christians have got to stop giving people a free ride. A free ride is when perhaps an atheist and a Christian are discussing, the atheist will say something like, oh, the Bible's been translated too many times to know what it, the original said. That's just an opinion. And yet the Christian feels like they have to launch into this big, long defense on biblical transmission and translation and how we've got 25,000 fragments of the copies of the original New Testament so we can recreate the original and know what it's... It's like, no, hang on a second. Turn the burden of proof back on the person making the claim and, and ask them, how did you come to that conclusion? And what's the question we use to do that? That's the first one. What do you mean by that? The second question, how did you come to that conclusion? Here's an example. Jesus taught reincarnation after traveling to India. What's our second clarification question? How did you come to that conclusion? Now, <laughs> this is an interesting one because you don't need to be an expert in ancient Middle Eastern history or ancient Indian history in order to respond to this. In fact, raise your hand if you've never even heard of this challenge before. That's, almost, that's pretty much all of us, right? You don't need to have all the answers when your job is simply to reverse the burden of proof and say, how did you come to that conclusion? You can respond to this challenge even though you've never heard it before. You've never studied it. You've never read a book on it. You don't know the answers I can tell you in this example, there actually is absolutely no evidence whatsoever that Jesus traveled to India, and he certainly never taught reincarnation. So you can use this question to simply require the person to, to bear the burden of proof. But 
But what if they do have good reasons? What if you ask this question, they come back with good reasons, they present a good argument, and you actually don't know how to respond? Because this happens. I mean, I study this stuff, and it happens to me all the time. There are three simple words we should never be afraid to use. What would they be? I don't know. I don't know. There's nothing wrong with being unprepared to respond to a challenge you might meet. It's this fear of not being ready that stops us from having these conversations. In fact, I want to present to you that saying I don't know is an opportunity that we should seek out. Here's why. Number one, it shows humility. And that builds relationship. You know, there's nothing more ugly than somebody going all feral, defending a view that actually they can't really defend. So let's actually be humble enough to say, you know what, you make a good point. I don't know. That's the first thing. Builds relationship. Number two, it actually opens up an opportunity to have a future conversation. So you don't just say, I don't know. You say, I don't know, but do you mind if I go away and do some research and maybe we can talk about this another time? And then a week later, you're back in, say, the lunchroom at work, and you sit down with your colleague, and you go, hey, that conversation we had last week, did some research, and it turns out, conversation's up and running again. That's the work of gardening, seeking opportunities to have conversations about matters of faith. And then the third reason, I love this one, you don't know you need a belt until your pants fall down. In other words, you don't know what you don't know. And there's nothing that motivates you more to get into these, the books and the reading and the study and listening to podcasts than actually engaging with people and realizing, oh, gosh, I need to know that. That's an interesting challenge. I've never heard of that. Because there are answers out there. That's what my ministry, Thinking Matters, is all about, is helping us as Christians know all the answers to these challenges that are out there. So don't be afraid to say, I don't know. It shows humility and builds respect. It can give you an opportunity to have a future conversation, and it motivates you to study and learn, and that's a good thing. Okay, so where can you get better prepared? Where can you learn? This is where uh, my ministry, Thinking Matters, comes in. Defend faith, navigate culture, and reach people. See, we recognize that most Christians really struggle to answer the challenges and the questions that our culture has about our faith. And things are heating up. Have you noticed? Things are heating up. The culture out there now is saying, you Christians, you keep your faith to yourself. Keep it in, the, in your churches and keep it in your homes, but don't you dare bring it out into the open and don't you dare act as though it's really true. Thinking Matters wants to equip you with the reasons why we can believe this is true. Because there are good reasons for believing that God exists, that Jesus is who he claimed to be, and that he's revealed these reasons, revealed them through his word, through the Holy Spirit, and through his glorious creation. There are good reasons, and we need to know these reasons so that we can be bold and we can know that what we believe is really true. So we're a nationwide team at the moment. We're growing significantly. We're currently five full-time staff and about 60 volunteers up and down the country who all teach, speak, preach, um, create and sell resources and run events to train the body of Christ to know these answers. Our mission is to encourage New Zealand Christians, that's you guys, 
to explore what you believe and why, why you believe it, so you can engage culture and present the Christian faith with gentleness and respect. And our vision is for an intellectually vibrant and passionate church transformed by a renewing of the mind, confidently navigating and impacting culture with the truth of Christianity. And our flagship event is our Confident Christianity Conference. This is coming up in only 10 weeks' time. You would have received one of these on your seat when you came in. This has got all the details you want. And I want to encourage you just to have a read through the topic section inside, just to get a feel for some of the topics we, we talk about. So many of these things are difficult, difficult topics, and yet they're topics that the Christian worldview speaks profoundly into. And we want to encourage you to study these, to know them so that you can navigate in our culture with your faith out in the open and with confidence. We have some great uh, speakers. We've got uh, J.P. Moreland as a Christian philosopher uh, from Biola University in the States. Craig Hazen is a colleague of his. We've also got a lot of uh, local speakers. And again, I just encourage you to check out the topics there. Now, we've got a special deal on for you guys here today. Uh, the super early bird pricing is available today if you sign up at our resource desk on the side. It's not available online. We've, uh, we've super early birds gone. We've only got early birds. So if you do want to take advantage, if you are interested in coming along, sign up today uh, and get that special deal. It includes lunch, includes a free DVD, and uh, it's only down the road, um, North Cross Church off East Coast Bays Road. Now, I want you to indulge me for a moment because I found this quote, and uh, this is a quote written by an atheist uh, on a website called The Secular Web, and this is a quote about a partner ministry of ours over in the States, which is pretty much the same as Thinking Matters, and it's funny how sometimes the greatest compliments can come from your most ardent uh, detractors, and I'm going to cheat a little bit because I'm going to take out Summit Ministries that this quote is about, and I'm going to put Thinking Matters in because in my heart is to hear this kind of feedback about my ministry, about this ministry. So listen to this. He says, this is an atheist writing. He says, there are Christian organizations involved with attempting to influence the political process. Some are focused on strengthening Christian family. Others work to disseminate their views on history or science. And some, is, some others exist simply to evangelize. He goes on, he says, but none of these organizations are able to change the hearts and minds of people as thinking matters can. Ministries like Thinking Matters are feeding the souls of Christians in our nation and convincing them to be on fire for their faith. Thinking Matters' effectiveness comes from their ability to have a believer walk away reassured, reaffirmed, and confident about their beliefs. They are encouraging the next generation of Christians to rise up and take their place in society. Thinking Matters is a ministry working to create radical change in our society and culture, and we must be wary not to allow them to reap what they have sown. Look at that. Reap what they've sown. That's an agricultural term. It's like, dude, you're just copying Jesus and doesn't even know it. Listen, we are reaping what we have sown. The work we do is changing lives. It's encouraging Christians to step up and step out and be confident in living their faith in the open. And we want to invite you to join us at our conference. If you want to... Uh, um, Fund us, we're all funded by donations, come and talk to us. Uh, otherwise, just check out our resource desk and see some of the books that we've got for sale. Okay, let me close today's message with a quick recap. What's the one principle that I'm suggesting you use to sort of lower that bar of expectation and, and, and lower the pressure on you? We should seek to... Yes, put a stone in their shoe. 
Just seek to put a stone in their shoe. Give them something that makes their walk without God just that little bit more uncomfortable. And what are our two clarification questions? What's the first one? What do you mean by that? And the second one? How would you come to that conclusion? Very good. Now, Reuben, do you give homework? Of course. Good, because I'm giving you guys some homework. I want to challenge you sometime between now and when you go to bed tonight to use one or both of these questions in some conversation. It doesn't have to be with a non-believer, just in any conversation, because this is simply about good, good communication. Okay? Think, men, what question do you think could be helpful in marriage? What's our first question? Let me hear you say it, men. What do you mean by that? All right, ladies, you don't get off. What question are you going to start using with your husband? <laughs> How'd you come to that conclusion? All right, what, what questions do you think might make like, the workplace more functional? What do you mean by that? How'd you come to that conclusion? What question are you going to ask Reuben after he preaches on a Sunday? What do you mean by that? Okay, so your homework is to use one or both of these questions between now and bedtime. You up for it? Yep. Good. All right, I want to close now with a quick clip from a preacher called Francis Chan just to remind us of this call that we have to go out and make disciples. He takes a slightly humorous approach. Let's have a look at this. When I was a kid, we used to play this game called Simon Says. Right? Most of us have played that, unless you're really young, because there's no app for it. Is Simon Says is, uh, you know, you just, Simon Says, pat your head, you know, so, okay, you know, Simon said it. Um, it's just, it was a very simple game, but it's so weird how in the church, Jesus Says is a totally different game. If Jesus says something, you don't have to do it, you just have to memorize it. You, 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 you study it, you memorize You guys, it, it doesn't make any sense. A lot of the things we do, when he tells us to go out and make disciples, and how many people in the, our churches are actually making disciples? They memorized it. You know, when I tell my daughter, hey, hey Rach, go clean your room. She doesn't come back to me two hours later and go, I memorized what you said. <laughs> you said, Rach, go clean your room. I can say it in Greek. <laughs> my friends are going to come over and we're going to have a study on what it would look like if I cleaned my room. <laughs> she knows better than that. And so why do we think we're going to come before the judge one day and quote everything that he said Talk about how much we know. It's just, it's just this black and white stuff. If I just started with scripture, I'd go, here's what I would do. I'd start making disciples. Time is short. Brothers and sisters, people out there are literally, literally dying. We have a job to do. We are ambassadors for Christ. So he was making his appeal through us. So please, step up. We have stones to put in people's shoes. Father, we just thank you for 
this incredible honour you've given us to represent you, broken vessels. I just pray, Father, that for those in this room who love you and are called according to your purpose, Lord, that you would take away our fears and you would just help us to step up and step out boldly and to take this incredible gift of grace, salvation, and freedom from the bondage of sin and death and share it to simply go and make disciples. I pray, Lord, that you would give us, every one of us in this room, who, again, who love you, uh, you would give us an opportunity, even this week, not only that you'd give us an opportunity, Lord, but you would just stir in our hearts in that moment, and we'd recognize it, and we'd have the courage to step into it, and that there would be eternal fruit in heaven because of it. I pray this by the power of your Holy Spirit, in the name of your Son, Jesus, and for the glory of the Father. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.